All right, so we're going to do something a little different to start out. I know this is going to sound really strange, but I need some helpers. I need five helpers. You can stay where you're seated. Oh, good. We have one right here. I am not surprised she wants to help. <laughs> Got another one here. And these can be, you know, you can be an adult. You know, this isn't just a kid thing. All right, Bryson. Good to see you, buddy. I'll make my way back. Okay, I got one back here. I need one more. All right, Bailey's going to do it. This is like a birthday kind of thing. Is there one back here? Ah, Nancy. All right. So, okay. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you about a minute. And I apologize, parents, for giving scissors to your children at the beginning of the service. Uh, But they are safety scissors, so I don't think there's going to be any big issues. I'm going to give you a minute. Uh, We're going to put a picture on the screen. I want you, with your sheet of paper and your scissors, create this object. Um, So go to the other one. So, you know, there's depth to it. You have about a minute. And if you want, you can ask for help. You know, so if someone's sitting near you or... What's that? Has anyone started cutting yet? People on the live stream are thinking, what's going on? So this is what you're trying to make. All right, how do we do? Okay, I see a thumbs down. Let me see. Okay, so not quite, but very close. Anything that's an exact representation of this. All right. So just to show you that you can do this, we're going to do a cut here about halfway, a cut here about halfway. We're going to do a cut down the center, so it kind of looks like a field goal post. Then you're going to fold it, you're going to fold it again, there you go. All right, all right. So now the arts and crafts time is over. So when I handed you the paper and I said that, you know, I want you to create this object, and then about, I don't know, 
30 seconds in, I, I mentioned that you could ask for help. No one asked me. Wouldn't you think that you should ask help for the one person that knew how to do it? Isn't that what happens in the spiritual life as well? We have the resources, we have the opportunity, and yet we often spend our time talking about our problems, planning through our problems, and yet we often forget to go to the only one who knows our true need and can give us direction. Listen, I've been a pastor for almost 20 years now. I believe I can safely say that if I were to ask each one of you what the primary deficiency is in your spiritual life, I can guarantee that the majority of the answers that I would receive is concerning your prayer life. Maybe it's not that you're not praying, but you struggle with, you don't know really how to pray. You struggle with wondering if you're praying the right way. Or you don't see the answers that you're praying for. The truth is, God understands that we have a weakness in prayer. God understands that. And as a result, He has provided for us all that we need to have a powerful thriving prayer life. How many of you would like to be more effective in your prayer life? I would. And if you didn't raise your hand, I know you were in your spirit, so. Listen, prayer is the powerhouse of your spiritual life. It's the powerhouse. It's the, it's the place where God's strength is cultivated in your life as you depend on Him. Prayer is the powerhouse of this church. A church that isn't full of people praying is a church that's ineffective. D.L. Moody, who was a 19th century evangelist, or American evangelist uh, from Chicago area, said this about prayer. Every great movement of God can be traced back to a kneeling figure. Oswald Chambers, who was well known for writing the devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, said this about prayer. Prayer is the vital breath of the Christian, not the thing that makes him alive, but the evidence that he is alive. Pastor David Jeremiah said this about prayer. Prayer is the way you defeat the devil, reach the lost, restore the backslider, strengthen the saint, send missionaries out, cure the sick, accomplish the impossible, and know the will of God. Prayer is serious business. Prayer changes things. How many of you believe that? Prayer changes things. If the Scriptures are God's primary way of communicating with us, and they are, the 66 books of Old and New Testament those ancient 
words that aren't ancient in that they're not applicable, nor are they not relevant. The, the words contained in the Holy Scriptures have been written by men, but it is God's breath to us, God's word to us. If, if the Scriptures are God's words to us, then in prayer, it's our words to Him. And if prayer is so vital, then we need to understand what God has provided so that we can thrive in our prayer life. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at two verses this morning, verses 26 and 27, and consider the amazing power of prayer and how God helps us in this spiritual pursuit. Let me read these verses for you in preparation for the teaching of His Word. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Those are some powerful truths. They're very intimidating. When I was reading these words and thinking about what Paul was saying here, I think I was just overwhelmed with, wow, I I don't know if I've experienced this kind of prayer often in my life. But the first thing that we need to understand is what Paul says in verse 26. He says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. Paul identifies something about us. And what I love about what Paul says is he includes himself. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps our weakness. He doesn't say your weakness. He doesn't say the weakness only in the church in Rome. But he's identifying with every believer, himself included, that in this grand opportunity that God provides to come to Him and to talk to Him and to rest in Him, He understands that there is a great weakness that we all share and experience. And so He points our attention to the weakness that we have in prayer. Our sinful flesh limits us in our ability to pray. And although you have received a new heart and a new spirit when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, that was the promise of the new covenant that Jesus inaugurated. We go back to Jeremiah and the promise of a new heart, that God would write his law on the the tablet of flesh of our heart, that we've been given a new spirit, and we've been talking about the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit, that while we have a new heart, a new spirit, That God has changed our affections. Because we still have sin in our lives, we struggle and are weak in prayer. Weakness, that word weakness, is very well a reference to the weakness that exists as a result of sin. Our human needs cloud our ability to pray the way that God wants us to pray. Now, this word weakness also carries with it the idea of disease or sickness. 
And so when Paul says, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness, he, he's drawing our attention to the fact that the weakness that we have as a result of sin is a, is a weakness that results in us not being the way that we should, much like if we are diseased or sick or not feeling well. You know when you're not running at 100%. You know those days when the alarm goes off and you think, I'm just going to stay in bed for the next 10 days. You know, it's like you, there's, there's no sense uh, that you feel like you can move on at the capability that you normally can. Paul says that we are weak. All of us. We are weak. And we don't know how to pray as we should. But when I looked at verse 26 and the truths that Paul is teaching us, I, I, I didn't sense at all a language of failure. He doesn't say to us, now listen, you terrible Christians. Listen to you people that should get it. Listen to you people that say you believe in Jesus and now you go in prayer and you're admitting failure and you can't do it and you're just overwhelmed. He doesn't talk about failure here. The language here is not one where we're not living up. It's language of grace. Because it's in the midst of our failure that God intercedes. That God steps in. And God provides for us exactly what we need to overcome. Verse 26 is a message of grace to the church. In the same way, Paul says, in the same way it ties our attention of the Spirit's activity with that of the groaning that takes place in creation like we talked about last week. Remember that? Creation groans. Why does creation groan? Why is creation at the edge of their seat? Why, why is their neck stretched out? Because creation is waiting for the revelation of the sons and daughters of God. Creation is longing for the true children of God to be revealed. Because when we are revealed, the King is here. We know that at the revelation of the sons of God and the completion of our full adoption, Jesus will return and set up His kingdom that will last for a thousand years on this earth. Creation is groaning. And Paul said that we too are groaning. We are longing for the revelation of the saints of God. And now Paul says the Spirit is groaning. In the same way, ties our attention to the activity of the Spirit in the sense that the Holy Spirit identifies in this longing and in this groaning and in the need that we have because we are far from who God has created us to be. The Spirit, in the same way, Paul says, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, the reason we have a weakness as Paul says, is because we don't know how to pray as we should. We do not know how to pray as we should. Left on our own, the believer does not know how to pray as we should. These are like things that are very hard for this hard-headed brain to figure out. 
Because they think, well, you know, the scriptures teach us. And we go to church. And we do God things in our life. And it should seem natural. It should seem this is what we do. This is who we are. And yet Paul includes himself as a person that understands that if it wasn't for God's work on our behalf, we would not know how to pray. You can be taught about prayer. You can pray a lot. You can listen to people pray. But the truth remains, we do not know how to pray as we should. We know how to approach God. We know that we need to approach God. We know, as this text in Romans 8 tells us, that when we approach God, we approach Him as children and cry out to Him, Abba, Father. And yet, we're not able to effectively pray by ourselves. We're not even sure exactly what to pray. When Paul says that we don't know how to pray, he's not talking about style or posture. He's talking about content. He's talking about the things that we need to relay to God on behalf of ourselves and others concerning the needs and the joys and the concerns. When I think about the content of prayer, I I, I often think about how Jesus taught us to pray. In the Sermon on the Mount in in Matthew chapter 6, part of the Lord's Prayer is Jesus teaching His disciples to pray, Your will be done. How many of us, if we're completely honest with ourselves, really want to pray, Your will be done? Think about that. Think about what God's will could be. Because God's will can be suffering and persecution. God's will could be the circumstances and situations that you so desperately want to change never change. God's will and the fulfillment of it can take you places that apart from Him, You don't want to go. It's scary to pray, your will be done. It's scary to pray, your will be done, and believe it. Because it takes great faith to trust that wherever God takes us, wherever He leads, whatever He permits, whatever is brought upon His children whom He loves, that God will always be with us. And God will use all of those circumstances, all of those situations, all of those moments to bring about His glory. Now we're going to get there in a couple weeks because next week we're going to shift gears a little bit in our study in Romans. We're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 23 and 24 or 24 and 25. I can't remember the exact church or verse numbers, but we're going to look at the crucifixion and resurrection from Luke's account over the next two weeks as we uh, celebrate Easter. But in three weeks, we're going to get back to Romans 8 
In Romans 8.28, the very next verse after the verses we're looking at says this, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And when you pray God's will, when you pray, Lord, Your will be done, then you are trusting that God causes all things to work together for good. It doesn't say God causes the good things to work together for good. He causes all things to work together for good. But not just for everybody. He causes all things to work together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. That's scary ground. I don't mean scary like I'm afraid I never want to approach it, but it's very vulnerable ground. It's honest. And yet we know that God's highest aim is that His will be accomplished in our lives. We know that we have a weakness in prayer and that He wants to transform us. And yet too often, my prayer life can be full of grocery list kind of prayers. You know, the, the running tabulation of the things that I want or need. I pray for this, I pray for that, I pray for this, I pray for that. God, give me this, give me that. I open my prayer life sometimes with a weather report. God, thank you for the sunshine and the birds chirping and the clouds that are so white and fluffy. And You know, I start there and then I go through my list of things that I want God to bless and give me and all those things. And I read these words in Romans 8, 26 and 27 and I think, man, that is not even close to that. question is, am I really praying with expectation that God's will be done no matter what? No matter what, no matter what the response is, can I praise Him regardless for the answers that He gives? And sometimes God's will, and this, we have a hard time with this, we really do, I know I do, sometimes God's will is that He answers the prayer by not answering the prayer. Sometimes His answer is no. And we struggle with that because we think, well, the Scriptures teach God will give us the desires of our heart. And so if we ask, He'll give. And then we rub the lamp some more and think, okay, I want this now, and I want that now. But that's not God's intention in prayer. So Paul shares with us that the Spirit Himself In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself. And I love that little word, Himself. Because remember, the Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit has identity, personality. Is God Himself. That the Holy Spirit Himself intercedes for us. Now that word intercede means to stand in the place of. It means to be an intermediary. When we are weak, 
Paul says, the spirit prays. Let me say that again. When we are weak, the spirit prays. I love what the word of God teaches us concerning this. And I talk and the whole counsel of the word. Because as a believer, weak as we are, as a believer, the scriptures teach us that two members of the Trinity intercede for believers. The Lord Jesus Christ, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, is our advocate. And the word advocate is, is a similar word, the same word as intercessor. He stands in the place of believers who are sinful. They struggle with sin. In fact, that's the language. If you want to turn there in 1 John chapter 2, this is what John says in, in chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's our advocate. The Son intercedes on behalf of the blood-bought children and reminds the holy, righteous Father that His righteousness is on their account. So the Son intercedes for us, and the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, that in the weakness of our prayer life, the Spirit prays on our behalf. Church, you need to understand that God loves you. And He's providing everything for you to succeed in the life that He gives. Intercession means that you're not alone. Intercession means that there is never a moment, a trial, a hurdle, a chasm, anything that you will face that God is distant and far off and He's going to let you work it out on your own. Intercession means that God is active on your behalf to bring about His purposes. And that is so important for us to understand because when we are wandering off, when we are forgetful, when we are prone to think that God is too busy, you need to know that the Son and the Spirit are working on your behalf to bring about the Father's purposes. So how does the Spirit do this? Well, Paul says in verse 26, with groanings too deep for words. I'm going to be honest, that scares me. With groanings too deep for words. When we don't know how to pray, when we are out of words, when we are out of strength, when we are beyond our ability to pray, the Holy Spirit steps in on our behalf and helps us to pray with groanings too deep for words. Now let me tell you what it isn't first. Because there have been churches that have misunderstood what Paul is saying here. And what they're saying is that this is some kind of hidden prayer language. Speaking in tongues. That this speech, this groaning that is too unutterable for words, as some translations say, 
is some kind of tongue not native to humankind. But I don't believe that Paul is referring to tongues. Now, tongues was a spiritual gift in the early church. It was a real thing. It was the activity of the Spirit in a believer's life to help them communicate the message of the gospel in places and in ways that were new. It was a miraculous event to confirm the testimony of Jesus as the church, as the kingdom was being built. But the the gift of tongues and those miraculous expressions died off with the completion of the Scriptures. We know this because later on, as the New Testament is being written, and the, the, the books that were written later don't refer to the activity of speaking in tongues to the church. Now, when Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians, he's referring to this idea that sometimes we're, we're making tongues bigger than it needs to be, and we're making it front and center in the church service. And he's like, no, that's not what it was supposed to be. So tongues in this way is not the prayer language of the Holy Spirit. I also believe it's not tongues because if the gift of tongues is a spiritual gift, and it is, we know that not every believer has every spiritual gift. But Paul says here in Romans chapter 8 that the Holy Spirit prays for all of us, not just for those that had the gift. The Holy Spirit prays for all of us. The groans express feelings of compassion for our weak condition. The Holy Spirit prays for us, not that He prays through us to the Father. He prays for us. It's not like we're a puppet and the Holy Spirit just says the things and our mouth moves. The Holy Spirit prays for us to the Father. Now, I can't say that I've seen this as a regular experience in my prayer life. Not that I'm not praying, but I believe this kind of prayer is cultivated in time. In our weakness, and you know what it's like, right? In our weakness, this kind of prayer is cultivated when we are quiet. When we don't know what to say. When we don't know how to say the things that are weighing us down and in our hearts. And the reason why I believe we don't experience this a lot is because we don't like to remain quiet. We live in a world full of constant noise. And it's in these moments when we are out of words that the Spirit prays that we just need to be quiet. Be still. You know what happens, right? We pray, and then we're quiet, and we think, that seemed like forever. And it's been 10 seconds. Because when there's silence... We get anxious. I came across the written testimony that I I think speaks very well to this idea of silence in prayer. 
was written by or is written for or about a man named John Hyde. John Hyde was a missionary in the 1800s to India. It was during a, a portion in his life when John Hyde was invited. He had a, a traveled to England and had attended a revival meeting that was taking place in England. And this is what is written about him. It says, I have, heard, I have learned some great lessons concerning prayer. At one of our missions in England, the audience was exceedingly small. But I received a note saying that an American missionary was going to pray for God's blessing down on our work. He was known as Praying Hyde. That was the name that he was known by. Almost instantly, the tide turned. The hall became packed. And at my first invitation, 50 men accepted Christ as their Savior. As we were leaving, I said, Mr. Hyde, I want you to pray for me. Mr. Hyde agreed and and followed the man into the room. And when they entered the room where they were going to pray, Mr. Hyde took the key and he locked the door. He dropped on his knees and he waited five minutes without uttering a single syllable. The man writes, I can hear my own heart thumping and beating. I felt hot tears running down my face. I knew I was with God. Then, with an upturned face, while the tears were still streaming, John Hyde cried out, Oh God! And for five more minutes, he remained silent and still. And then when he knew he was talking with God, there came from the depth of his heart such petitions for me as I had never heard before. I rose from my knees to know what real prayer was. We believe that prayer is mighty and we believe it as we never did before. Do we create enough space in our life to pray this way? Now, I'm not saying that you should pray this way at the dinner table. The food's going to get cold. But your life should be full of moments where you create enough space in your life that if it takes five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, an hour or longer, that you are quiet enough in the presence of God that you allow Him to speak. The Holy Spirit takes up where we, because of weakness, leave off. And the Holy Spirit says those things we want to say, but we can't even articulate. In verse 27, when Paul says, And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The he, in the beginning of verse 27, is the Father, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, the familiar verse about King David, teaches us that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God searches the heart. He searches the motives, the affections of the heart. No words are needed. And the Father knows what the mind of the Spirit is because they're one. They're God. 
There is a direct connection in, the, in this prayer language that I can't fathom. That the Spirit prays and the Father hears and the Father knows because the Spirit is praying. And the why, the why to all of this intercession, the why to the ability of the Father hearing the prayers that are uttered by the Spirit in groanings too inutterable for words, that the why is contained in the rest of the verse. The Spirit prays on our behalf and the Father hears because the Spirit intercedes according to the saints, according to the will of God. The Spirit always prays according to the will of God on our behalf. Now, you've heard me use this analogy before, but to make the Hall of Fame in baseball, you need to have at least over a 300 batting average. That means you fail seven times out of every 10 at-bats. But the really good batters are like 330, 350, but it's unheard of to be over 400. I think there's only been a very small handful of batting averages in any one season that was over 400. That means you fail seven out of ten times. And we think our prayer life needs to be full of like these averages of thinking, well, I prayed this time and I got this answer, so okay, I'm one out of one. Well, I prayed this time and, you know, I don't see anything, so we think, well, that must be a pass. The Holy Spirit bats a thousand. A hundred percent of the time when the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf according to the will of God, the prayer is heard and the prayer is answered. Church, when I think about that, that when I don't know how to pray accordingly, that the Holy Spirit prays accordingly, that's a gift. That's a great gift. The consequence of this promise should be that, we f- that when we feel frustrated about our inability to pray, we can relax. We don't need to be afraid. God is compassionate towards us and knows just how we feel. He understands our weakness and yet by His grace has provided the Spirit to help us. So let me ask you a question. How's your endurance in prayer? Is it good? What do I mean about endurance? How often are you praying? How long are you praying? How soon are you to give up in prayer? The Holy Spirit can work endurance in you. The Holy Spirit can work God's passion in you. Cold and lifeless prayers are unwelcome in heaven. Thomas Brooks said this, cold prayers always freeze before they reach heaven. We don't need cold prayers. We need prayers on fire. We need prayers like John Hyde prayed, praying passionately. So I understand Paul's point to be that we should pray according to God's will. You also need to know God's will. And you know His will from His Word. But as the Spirit prays for you and God answers those prayers according to His will, you'll begin to see how God is working. And so what's the takeaway? Don't be intimidated. Don't be afraid. The Lord has given you all that you need to have a super abundant prayer life. The Spirit is in you to help you to overcome your weakness in prayer. We have no excuse not to pray. If you are in Jesus Christ, there is no reason to think that you can't pray. 
But for you to sense that in your life, you've got to pray and pray more than you ever have. And when you pray this way, you have to be quiet. As I said before, so much of our time in prayer is filled with noise that it's hard to be quiet. I see this all the time. Do you ever watch a sporting event or something significant happening? Or maybe you attend an event where they have a moment of silence? Yeah, they have these moments of silence. And if they last 10 seconds, that's long. It is hard to be quiet. I think there's a fear that anything longer will lead to boredom. But it is only in significant silence that we will ever begin to see the intercessory ministry of the Holy Spirit on our behalf. I know this, if you pray this way, you will receive what you ask for. One more thing. Getting back to that opening illustration. Go to the one that knows how to do it. Sure, there is wisdom in many counselors. That's what Proverbs teaches us. It's good to surround our lives with godly people. Make sure you're going to God and listening to Him. I guarantee you this, if you spend more time in prayer about your problems, your problems will change. They will change. And maybe the problems don't change but you change. And if God is going to change us, we have to give him the opportunity to do it. Let's pray.